welcome to the Sermons Podcast, a ministry of Vienna Assembly of God, located right here in Vienna, Virginia. We're so glad you've joined us today. Hope you enjoy today's sermon. Our sermon theme today is Hope in the Name of the Lord, and it's two names, El Elyon and El Olam. And hope in the God of time and space. And how I landed there is because El Elyon means God most high. God most high. The God of all space. And El Olam means God eternal. The God of all time. The God who transcends time. The God who created time and that he is over it all he is eternal and so getting my mind around this and understanding what we need what is the word of God for you today from this is um, where we're going to be going today and I'm going to read some scriptures that that help frame this a little bit and then I'm just going to follow a basic outline to try to speak into our hearts what is the encouragement that God has for you today because he is God eternal, he is God most high. So let's look at some scripture. Thank you again for passing the peace. And, and I know that, that, that some might feel like, well, that gets distracting while I'm trying to listen to the sermon. That's okay. It's, it, once you've done it, if you're done, just set your phone aside for a moment. But we're going to look at the scripture, and I've got three passages that we're going to read today, and um, I'll explain how they tie together as we move through this this sermon. First, from Genesis chapter 14, verses 18 through 20, this is where we first see the name of God, El Elyon, starting at verse 18. And Melchizedek, the king of Salem... And a priest of God Most High brought Abram some bread and wine. Melchizedek blessed Abram with this blessing. Blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who has defeated your enemies for you. Then Abram gave Melchizedek a tenth of all the goods he had recovered. In John chapter 17, this is Jesus talking. He is praying to the Father, and this is what he said, beginning at verse 1. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that your Son may glorify you, for you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him now this is eternal life that they may know you the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do and now father glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. 
And finally, Titus chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Verse 1, this letter is from Paul, a slave of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. I have been sent to proclaim faith to those God has chosen and to teach them to know the truth that shows them how to live godly lives. This truth gives them confidence that they have eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised them before the world began. And now at just the right time, he has revealed this message, which we announce to everyone. It is by the command of God, our Savior, that I have been entrusted with this work for him. This is the word of the Lord. These are just three passages in the scriptures that highlight the reality of God eternal and God most high. And the reality that because he is God eternal and has entered at just the right time, the world he created time he created he entered at just the right time to give us eternal life so that we in are imparted with this part of his character to live with him in that eternal space it's kind of amazing to think about well i want to just start with some definitions of these names el elion occurs 28 times um, it's nine, 19 of those times are in Psalms, but the first time is in Genesis 14, where we read. It, El is a name used for God in many times, and then when it's put into a conjunction, it adds a characteristic of God. Elion literally means most high, and it is used both as an adjective to describe God and just as the substance of who he is throughout the Old Testament. It expresses his extreme sovereignty and majesty and his highest preeminence. It can be translated as the most exalted God, God most high. El Olam, God eternal, other ways that this is said is the everlasting God, the God of eternity, the God of the universe, the God of ancient days. So our, we trust God because his promises are rooted in the unchanging eternal nature. Just as those two passages we read talked about in Titus that he promised before the world began. How could God promise something into our limited space before it began? Because he's not limited by our time. He's not limited by our space. He transcends it all. And we can trust in our eternal God. The first time El Olam is found in the scripture is in Genesis 21. And it says, Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba, and there he called on the name of the Lord, the eternal God. So throughout scripture, this is an important understanding of who God is. I want to share just some things from, 
from some scholars and some writers on what these attributes of God mean to us. A.W. Tozer, in his book, Knowledge of the Holy, he's talking about the infinite nature of God, which I feel like relates to the God most high, God of time and space, God of space, the most high. And he talks about that what we say, when we call him infinite, we're saying that he knows no bounds, but that we use words sometimes in ways that, that might muddy up our thinking. So, for example, if we say someone has unlimited wealth, or if we say um, they seem to have boundless energy, those obviously aren't exactly what we're talking about with God because the, it's true. Nobody has unlimited wealth. It's, it can be counted. Everybody has to rest eventually, so there's not such a thing as boundless energy unless you're talking about God. God is limitless, and there, he's not measurable, not the way we can measure things. Um, I'm not great at like saying, like, if I'm standing here and looking at the back wall and just judging how far that is. My husband, Craig, is really good at that. He can just say, oh, well, it's just that far. And, and sometimes he can measure things like um, the speed of the wind. Like, he'll just say, that was a 70-mile-hour wind. I'm like, how can you know that? But he can measure things, like, just quickly like that. Um, we can measure things, like, so... When we're trying to measure money, I brought this um, to show you. This little guy here is like a piggy bank. He lives in the laundry room, and whenever coins uh, show up in the laundry, they go into this little thing. And so, you know, I know stories, and I, I think when I was a kid, I was like this. We might measure our money and and, and think like, oh, I finally have enough money for this thing. I am pretty sure that one day one of my grandchildren came to me and they were saving up some money. And let's just say it was 50 cents. And they wanted to give that money to help buy something that was needed. But the thing that was needed was probably more like in the 500 or $1,000 range. I, I really can't remember the exact thing, but that is very common where a child can't fully measure what um, the, the, the reality would be. Well, I just want to tell you, when you're measuring your bank account <laughs> or your resources, it may well be something like bringing a little piggy bank to God and, and saying, like, um, and trying to compare, like, this, like, if I brought this and tried to compare it to J.P. Morgan Bank and all of their assets or something like that. But the reality is, whether, whether it's easy for us to count, like, just count the coins in here, or if it's something that we think is unlimited wealth, it can still be counted, but God cannot. We can measure how far it is um, around the world. We can measure how far it is to the moon 
or to Mars or to the sun. I mean, we've, we've sent things out into space that are measuring the distance between all kinds of um, planetary bodies and that kind of thing. But we can't measure the full universe. And yet God is greater than that. God most high. He is more than anything we can measure. And that is something I just want you to ponder on a moment and realize that that God of the universe is the one that promised before the world began his life into us. His love is as measureless as he is. Eternity is often um, talked about in the scripture as uh, from age to age. The Greek word there is from eon to eon. It is sometimes looked at ages past, beyond what we can see, as that spoke before the beginning of the world. And then it is also looking toward the future, beyond what we can see, going on and on. And it is an eternal thing. But the contrast when the Bible talks about eternity is not just between time and timelessness because the eon that is about to be, the age that is about to come, is a real thing. It is something that is measured by God in the scripture. And that the start of the coming age is something that's not just a restoration of the old, but it is something new. And that's why God identified he is him who is and who was and who is to come. And then he has given us new creation that we will be a part of that age that is to be. But friends, it has already begun. The kingdom of God, the new life has been established in Christ. And we live with eternal life planted within us, even though the consummation of it all hasn't happened yet. When we talk about God eternal, I want you to understand that we are in him and we have his eternal life already in us. His kingdom come, his will be done in earth now. He enters the now with his eternal self to let his life go forth out of us. I have so many notes here. That's why I'm staring because trying to not just repeat what I just said. In the New Testament, a distinction is constantly made between the present age, the world now, and the one that is to come. We have something to look forward to. 
And as I talked about last week, if we are experiencing the labor pains that indicate the coming of the Lord being soon, that means that that next age is coming soon. But friends, I want to make sure that we don't get into a mindset that whatever's happening right now has no meaning. That we're just sort of hanging on until next. And that it doesn't matter what's happening now. That, that is not what the New Testament teaches. We are currently meant to live godly lives. We are currently meant to carry forth the news of the kingdom. The good news is one of the things in the scripture that is identified as eternal. In addition to God, the good news is eternal, and we are called to proclaim it. It matters how we live now. It matters if we believe in justice. It matters if we believe in the goodness of God to this planet now. It matters if we take care of the earth the way he has called us to do it. It is not just a matter of hanging on Till someday. And I just want you to know that, that we have his eternal life in us now. Okay. One of the places where we see eternal life talked about so much is in the Gospel of John. And before we, before you get to the passage that we read in John 17, where Jesus is praying to the Father, Jesus himself has identified himself with metaphors that define this eternity living in us now. The present new life. Living water, that is a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Living bread that satisfies the world's spiritual hunger. The light of the world leading his followers into the light of life. The good shepherd that brings abundant life. The life giver who raises the dead. The way, the truth, and the life. And in chapter 15, the genuine vine who sustains those who will abide in him. I was thinking about that reality that in chapter 14, Jesus had told the disciples, I go away. I'm going away. But if I go, I will come again and receive you to myself. And then he goes on and says, but abide in me. (laughs) How do we abide in him if he went away? Because he sent the Holy Spirit for us, because he planted his eternal life in us. And this is the reality. We are not supposed to wait until one day in the great beyond to live in the power of God that he's poured into us now. We are meant to access our eternal God. We are meant to live according to the victory of the most high God in our lives now. That's what it matters. It matters. Not that I, I feel that sometimes when we think of God as so big, as so forever and eternal, that it also makes him feel distant. And I'm trying to convince you today, no. He is all of that, and yet he is right here with us.
Eternal life is the importation of the qualities of the age to come into the present through the revelation of a faithful God in Christ and brings knowledge of God's relationship with Jesus. So when Jesus prayed, I pray that they would know, have eternal life, and this is what eternal life is, that they would know you. That's what this whole series on hope in the name of the Lord has been about, that we would know him better. As we get to know him, as we abide in him, we experience eternal life flowing through our lives. Now, I was inspired to bring this little piggy bank thing because there's another thing that Jesus said. And when we think about the greatness of God, I think that sometimes we need to be willing to go back to thinking like a child and remembering what it is like. Jesus said, the disciples had come to him, and um, I've misplaced where I put that scripture, but it's in Matthew. They came and said, Jesus, who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom? See, they, they knew that Jesus was here to launch the kingdom. They, they understood it, but they didn't quite get the, the strategy. <laughs> and they didn't quite understand what the kingdom was going to look like. And so they... They were, like, uh, building the hierarchy. And so they're just like, who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom? And so Jesus brought in, he, he called a little child. said, hey, come over here a minute. And put the child in the middle. And he said, Whomev uh, whoever is like this little child, that's who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. And I'll tell you this. Unless you're willing to become like a child, you're not going to see the kingdom of God. We have to understand that our way of measuring things needs to shift back to thinking like a child and just pure trust and belief that what, what we bring to God is enough because he's the one that is our all-sufficient one. He's the one that's going to take care of all of our needs. He's the one that redeems us. He's the one that sets us free, not our own effort, not our own plans, not our own strategies, not our own um, jockeying for position. That's not how it's going to be. How does this help us in this moment, in this crazy time of major, major decisions? How do we become more childlike? Our, Jesus is not calling us to be childish. He is not calling us to immaturity. He's not calling us to selfishness and demanding our own way. That's, that's childishness. In 1 Corinthians 13, where our, our passage has been all year, 
the Apostle Paul says, when I was a child, I thought like a child, I spoke like a child, but now I've, I've, I've grown and I, and I understand that we are, to, we are to move into maturity. But when it comes to our dependence on God, our faith in him, our reliance on him, and our belief in how big he is, we need to become childlike again and not let our own doubts, our own disappointments, our own things where we've let ourselves down, things where life hasn't gone the way we expected it to, cloud our ability to trust in God. God is eternal. God is most high. And it's not just that he's eternal and most high, it's that he's invited us. He's planned for us from before the beginning. We are a part of what God has in mind. And we are invited into his kingdom to continue to live according to his kingdom.